Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, and welcome to a mini-episode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies, brought to you by FilmDivider.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our Spider-Man and Ant-Man episodes. On today's show, I'll give you my reactions to the comics that Seven James recommended on last week's podcast. Those were The Amazing Spider-Man issues 30 to 33 and Ultimate Spider-Man Volume 1. But before we get to those, let's take a look at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past week. And before we dive in, obviously there's lots of news to cover this week because of Comic-Con. Um, and rather than go into like any real depth on these, I'm going to just try and run over the major points for now. Our Ant-Man episode is going to be arriving early on Friday this week to tie in with the movie's release. Um, and so that leaves a gap in our schedule next Wednesday, which Seb, James and I will be filling with a special news episode where we discuss all of the details of the headlines to have come out of Comic-Con. So stay tuned for that bonus episode next week. But for now, let's kick things off with the big news from DC. A new epic and extended trailer for Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice played at Comic-Con. Um, and unlike most of the trailers, was immediately released online. Um, so we'll definitely be able to discuss that in detail next week on our bonus episode. Um, Suicide Squad also debuted a first trailer, but then only decided to put it online for general consumption after a low-quality leak got out into the world. Um, during a sizzle reel for the upcoming DC Slate, a Green Lantern core movie was confirmed for 2020, but as of yet there are no details on that film beyond the title and the year of release. Um, not announced at Comic-Con, but reported by Deadline over the weekend was the news that Ben Affleck and Jeff Johns will apparently write a solo Batman movie together, which Affleck will direct after his upcoming Live By Night. Um, it was also announced in related news that The Killing Joke will be made into a direct-to-video animated feature for 2016, and that's a comic you can hear me discussing way back on Minnesota 2.5. Fox debuted a final Fantastic Four trailer during their panel, uh, which has now also been released online. We probably won't spend too much time delving into that one for reasons which are either already obvious or soon will become clear. Uh, but let's just say that that film hits cinemas in just a few weeks from now on August the 6th. 
Um, Deadpool came next on that panel and was apparently the film that blew the roof off Comic-Con. It won Comic-Con. Congratulations, Deadpool. Um, It premiered a new trailer, which has leaked online already and has led Ryan Reynolds to announce on his Twitter account that a full version will be online probably within the next three weeks once all of the VFX shots are finished. Um, It was also announced by the actress herself, uh, Leslie Uggams, that she will star as Blind Al in the film. Um, in related news, Hugh Jackman also heavily implied during the panel that his final solo Wolverine movie would indeed be an old man Logan one. X-Men Apocalypse came next, which had already given us our first look at what Oscar Isaac will look like as the eponymous villain in a piece of promotional art earlier in the weekend, showed some early and unfinished teaser footage, which definitely won't be released online. Um details that we kind of got out of that and from what the panel was saying uh, Brian Singer confirmed that the movie will take place 10 years after Days of Future Past and that Apocalypse will serve as a kind of cult leader who draws other mutants to his side his four horsemen which will mean something if you know anything about comics um, are Angel, Storm, Psylocke and Magneto and one other detail from the footage premiered was that it looks like Roseburn is confirmed to be returning as Moira McTaggart Okay, let's move into TV now, um, and particularly DC TV with Arrow. Stephen Amell took to the stage dressed in an all-new Arrow costume, uh, and apparently we'll finally have to start officially calling him the Green Arrow, um, as his costume embraces more of an emerald hue. The first episode of the new season will in fact be called Green Arrow, um, and similarly comics purists will probably like that Starling City is finally being rebranded as Star City in the show. Um, season 4 has cast Neil McDonough, that is the MCU's Dum Dum Dugan, as the villain Damien Dark for its fourth season. Uh, the show will also introduce Anarchy and Mr. Terrific, apparently, but the showrunners have also teased that there will be another big villain coming beyond all of those. Staying in the same shared universe, The Flash also had a lot of big announcements, not least among them that Zoom would be the season 2 villain. Jay Garrick, who is the Flash from Earth 2, will be introduced on the show after he was teased in the Season 1 finale, and he'll be played by Teddy Sears. Um, Chantel Van Santen has also been cast in the show as another comic book character, Patty Spivert. Um, And it was announced that Wally West, a character who becomes the Flash in the comics, will also feature in Season 2, but he hasn't been cast quite yet. Um, Again, sticking in that shared universe, we saw our first trailer for Vixen, the animated show set in the same universe as The Flash and Arrow. Um, And a little tidbit for Legends of Tomorrow saw confirmation that alongside Hawkgirl, Hawkman would also appear. I have no idea who that is, but it sounds exciting. Um, And finally, Supergirl, which may or may not be in that shared universe, we don't know yet. Um, Peter Fascinelli has been cast as Maxwell Lord. Um, and Reactron and Livewire were also confirmed as season one baddies for that show. In the ABC area of the Marvel Universe, we got a few more details on the plot of Agent Carter season two, which will pick up six months after the first season, and Peggy Carter will be called in to investigate a murder in a story that will take some inspiration from the real-life Black Dahlia case, which took place in the same year that this season of the show will be set, 1947. Meanwhile, a fairly uneventful Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. panel revealed at least one good bit of news, which is that the inhuman character of Lash will be a part of the upcoming season. Uh, A little bit of research tells me that in the comics, Lash goes on a mission to find all of the new Inhumans and judge whether they are worthy to live with their new abilities. 
And now for some news that broke before Comic-Con. Um, Elodie Young has been cast as Elektra in Season 2 of Daredevil. The actress who will be best known to mainstream audiences for her role as Jinx in G.I. Joe Retaliation. Um, that was a film where she kicked ass in Red Leather. She is also a black belt in karate and she has a master's degree in law. So apart from being Greek, which she's not, she's French-Cambodian, I think it's fair to say that she ticks a lot of requisite boxes for this role. And finally, Marisa Tomei will star as Aunt May in the new Spider-Man films. The 50-year-old actress was seen by a lot of people online as potentially too young to portray the character. But actually, given that Peter is going to be a high school student, having an aunt who's probably around 35 years his senior makes a lot of sense. And in fact, it made me question for the first time, why is Aunt May so old in the Spider-Man comics and in all the other versions? Um... So yeah, I'm on board with this casting, I really like it, and um, this is me officially starting my campaign for Kyle Chandler as Uncle Ben, here and now. Okay, let's move on now to discussing this week's comic book recommendations. Um, and up first, we'll start with Seb's recommendation, which um, is The Amazing Spider-Man, issues 30 to 33, um, and these come from Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Um, and so this is one of those helpful weeks where I was able to read everything on Marvel Unlimited. So I'm going to be doing a little bit of um, browsing and calling back to these comics now while I'm talking to you. Um, and so these comics, so I think The Amazing Spider-Man launched in 1963. So these issues are all from kind of like 1965. Um and I think Seb actually originally told me 31 to 33. Um, and but when I Googled, I heard that there was like a slight bit of the Master Planner saga, which, uh, which is the name of this arc, which um, kind of makes its way into the issue before. And I'm actually really glad I read the issue before because I think it gave me a little bit more insight into what um, this um, Silver Age Spider-Man was really like. Um the the bit of the Master Planner saga that makes its way into this first issue. The first issue is uh, following the the villain of the week in that issue is called the Cat, um, and he's not very exciting. There's probably a reason why he hasn't stuck around as an iconic Spider-Man villain because he is just a cat burglar and he doesn't seem to have any special abilities. He just likes to cat burgle. Um, although there is one scene where, interestingly, a load of goons who are dressed up in these special purple outfits. Um, rob a van that seems to be um, well in fact what it says is it's carrying a dangerous but priceless load of uranium derivatives to the factory of Anthony Stark um, so a little bit of a little bit of an Iron Man um, reference there um, and these goons try and steal the uranium from this uh, truck and one of the goons says only the cat could have fought to a scheme like this but it's weird when you're reading it, because other than that, the cat seems to be a like singular villain who doesn't seem to be working with a team. He's just cat burgling places on his own, because why would you share your cat burgling? Um, and what becomes clear as you read on is that Stanley probably didn't mean for these guys to be the cat's goons, and actually figured out as he was writing his next story that wouldn't it be more exciting if these goons were part of a were working for a, a different villain because a, a villain that it would make sense they were working for. So he um, he obviously changed that between issues, which I think was a wise choice. Uh, um, maybe he just didn't mean to say they worked for the cat in the first place. Um, but it's it's um, it was a really interesting one to get to get me into Spider Man because I'm going to say this, like it. Uh, 
this is a 1960s comic, and obviously a kind of teenager in the 1960s is going to be very different to a teenager now. So Peter Parker, while he is kind of quippy um, when he's in his Spider-Man suit, he is... He's so much more gee whiz when he's Peter Parker. Um, he is uh, he's definitely a product of the 60s and um, also he's kind of been written with this typical Stanley dialogue. The the narration is brilliant. There is there is so much more there's so much more in the way of thought bubbles than there have been in any of the current comics that I've read. Um, and so much more um, prose from the narration which sometimes is um, absolutely brilliant. And so, so we're just looking at one page now, which opens with, and so the various characters in our dramatic little web of life each go through their paces under the guidance of an inscrutable fate. Um, <laughs> there's lots of stuff like that running through the through those issues, and that's really fun. So in that first one, he battles the cat and um, overcomes the cat, um, which which is which was a fun fun issue. Another another thing that I should probably note is that the um, the character that Spider Man in these comics has a slightly different twist on his costume, which I never knew about. He has webbing under his arms, um, as if like kind of serving as like wings that would maybe help him glide through the air more. Um, slightly inconsistent as they don't always seem to be there, but um, yeah, I think that's probably something that makes sense to have been lost from that costume over time but actually having said that otherwise this costume looks remarkably similar to the one that I was looking at in um, Ultimate Spider-Man which I'll get to but what I mean by that is that this seems to have been a costume that has endured like if you look back to Iron Man in this era it seems to be very very different whereas Spider-Man he's pretty iconic in every page of this comic so when we actually get into the master planner um issues is it's properly a three-part story um and the first one so it's, it's it's kind of a lot of peter parker taking on these goons who are dressed in purple suits um who are working for someone who has an underground lair um and so peter is fighting them and kind of struggling to keep up with fighting those guys whilst it's also his first week at college. Um, and at college, he meets Harry Osborn for the first time, and there is Gwen Stacy there. But Aunt May is sick and taken to hospital at the same time, so he's trying to balance his Spider-Man responsibilities, starting college, um, earning money through taking pictures of Spider-Man that he sells to J. Jonah Jameson so he can pay for Aunt May's care. And he, this the first issue is basically him completely failing to manage all of these things at the same time when really the thing that matters most to him is Aunt May that's the that's the thing that obviously takes precedence over being Spider-Man and certainly his like proper Peter Parker life is the the last of his priorities so he'll turn up to college and he'll do his work because Peter Parker is a bit of a goody-goody <laughs> but he he is struggling to to keep up with it all and that first issue is really fun actually um because you you do it's it's nice to see all of these characters introduced to Peter Parker. Gwen Stacy was almost unrecognisable to me. That it, I think sixties Spider Man. Uh, like I I I'm not even sure whether this is a comic book character thing, but just more a product of the era that these people, these sixties teenagers or young adults, are almost completely unrecognisable from people <laughs> that would be depicted today. Um, and Spider Man's wisecracking. Um, 
is I don't think it's quite as cool as uh, as uh, modern Spider-Man is, but yeah, it's it's fun and also because everything is being written by Stan Lee, there is um, a lot of fun to be had from his little quirky narration. Um, and I was actually talking to. Um, one of my former colleagues now, um, Michael Leader, um, who he was he was saying how much more fun it is to read all of these old Spider-Man comics, actually like imagining them in the voice of Stanley as he's reading them to you, and I can confirm that is much more fun. Um, but as the second issue of the Master Planner saga gets going, we find out who the Master Planner is, um, and actually this uh, another notable thing it seems from this comic is that. Um, multi-arc comics were really kind of a rare thing back then and especially for Spider-Man that he kind of like fought a villain each week and did one story and that was it but this is a story that has been told over three and a bit comics I guess um, Aunt May's ill there is a master planner who is a villain who is doing something to Spider-Man and um, he has to resolve all that over the course of three issues which um, I guess must have been fairly revolutionary at the time um, but in the second issue, it's revealed straight away that the Master Planner is, in fact, Dr. Octopus. Um, and I think that this is the the first time that Dr. Octopus had returned since being introduced as a villain in Spider-Man. Um, what's amazing is looking back at these early issues of Spider-Man and seeing just quite how many amazing villains were introduced in the first... Like, had already been introduced at this time, 30 issues in, that Spider-Man had it had a couple of misses with characters. Like, you know, I spoke about the cat. But um, this was Stanley kind of churning out uh, one iconic villain after another every week. And, um, and then this is uh, an iconic story arc where he brings one of those villains back. It's, it's, really, it's really impressive what he got through back at that time. Um... Stanley also, I think it's fair to say, loves a lot of words on his page. These are a lot wordier comics than the ones I'm used to reading. And in the second issue, um, Peter is... <laughs> so we have found out as the audience that um, Dr. Octopus is the villain, but Peter hasn't yet. And he is going through a lot of... Oh, there is so much angst, this Spider-Man, um, as, as Stanley described it. But as the anguished youth turns to leave... Even his tortured thoughts of Betty Brandt are driven from his mind as Peter reaches the hospital where Aunt May is on the critical list. Um, he's he's really struggling as Peter. And even more so when he finds out that the reason that Aunt May is sick is because of him. Because he donated some blood to her earlier and it seems that some radioactive... A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Activity has got into Aunt May's blood and is killing her. Um, and so he's upset that he might have done the same thing to Aunt May as he did to Uncle Ben. Um, and then he, he then enlists the help of Kurt Connors, who at this point apparently has been the lizard, but is no longer the lizard, is just a scientist again, who is collaborating with Spider-Man, um, and they figure out that they need this MacGuffin to make Aunt May better, but wouldn't you know, it's stolen by the master planner, Doc Ock, and so Spider-Man has to hunt him down and fight him. Um, uh, which he does, he takes out a load of goons and finds out that it's Dr. Octopus, and then we get a big epic fight, which ends with Doc Ock being defeated, uh, and this is at the end of the second issue, Doc Ock has pretty much been defeated, but Spider-Man is trapped, he can see the MacGuffin in front of him, but he's trapped under this big piece of machinery in in Doc Ock's lair, and kind of needs to escape to save his own life, but to also save Aunt May's. Um, and then I think the the best issue is the last issue, um, which is weird because it's, there is there is no villain. There's none of kind of the other iconic characters. But what I really enjoyed about it was, I think this is when you get to kind of the nub of what makes Peter Parker tick. And I spoke about his kind of like all his priorities and trying to make them all work at the same time. But you get him. Flashing, you get him flashing back to memories of Uncle Ben and thinking of Aunt May in a hospital bed to find the strength that is almost beyond him to escape from this lair. Um, and then, even after using all of his energy, fighting these goons who he doesn't have the energy to fight at that point, so he just takes a beating and waits until his strength has returned, which is while he's getting the shit kicked out of him, basically to eventually find the strength to defeat them again and make his way back to Aunt May with this MacGuffin that is going to save her life. Um, and so much of the comic take play, takes place in Spider-Man's head. There are so many, like I said, so many more thought bubbles in this than there are in in modern comics. And it's basically just Peter Parker, but dressed as Spider-Man, trying to fit all of his life back together, trying try and save Aunt May and make some money from Jameson so he can pay for the medical treatment um, and dealing with the fallout of his romance with Betty Brant which is um, collapsing at this point um, and it's a really really a really well written character um, like I say I don't, I don't identify with him particularly much because he is a golly gee whiz 60s guy um, but he's fun and this this comic was a, a three-part story, which I think, given that Seb and James were telling me that it was iconic, I was expecting something slightly different. But I think as a, as a Spider-Man story, why it works is because I think it gets to the nub of the dilemma that being Spider-Man creates. And, and it gets that across incredibly well across three, three and a half issues. Um, and it's kind of made me tempted to go back and read some early Amazing Spider-Man. I think there is a reason why Seven James don't recommend Silver Age and earlier comics to me, but there's something really interesting about going back and looking at the Stanley Steve Ditko Spider-Man and how that character was portrayed in that era. And, I mean, there's something fascinating about, about comics, that kind of all these characters were created in this time that couldn't be more different, where the kind of the the characters should feel completely different era-wise to what they are now, 50 years on. 
and the villains probably shouldn't work, but these during this kind of short period, so many of these iconic characters who have endured were created. Um, it's very interesting to go back and see how that functioned at the time. But we'll move on now to a relatively more recent comic anyway. Um, as, as I think Seven James said, this is a a kind of a modern retelling of Spider-Man, but at this point, Ultimate Spider-Man is 15 years old. This, this Ultimate Spider-Man at the time was an attempt to retell an origin story of Spider-Man, kind of kick off the universe again, but that was a way in for new readers that you don't have to have read 700 issues of The Amazing Spider-Man to know what is going on with Spider-Man. Here is a modern retelling of that origin and you can jump on in with a new continuity. Um, and um, I, I, as, as far as I'm aware, there is lots of <laughs> there were lots of pros and cons of the ultimate line that this eventually kicked off. Um, but Ultimate Spider-Man seems to be the one that not only kicks things off, but the one that endured. And you can see why from reading these, from reading this this first volume. So this comes from Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley. Um, and obviously Brian Michael Bendis is someone whose comics, I think it's fair to say, is someone whose comics I have enjoyed more than a lot of others um, on the... Since since I've started doing the podcast and reading comics, I really enjoy, really enjoy some of his Daredevil stuff and um, Alias and... This is really fun as well. Um, so this is kind of telling the, as far as I'm aware, telling the kind of origin of Spider-Man, which was told in like 15 pages of Amazing Fantasy back in the day, back in the back in the 60s by Stanley and Steve Ditko, but telling that over kind of seven issues, one of which is a double issue, so really eight issues of a comic, and really kind of stringing out Spider-Man's origin. Maybe uh, maybe that's unfair because it maybe fleshing out is maybe fleshing out is a better description because they it, it's basically an elongation of the Spider-Man origin story, which kind of goes from goes through the phases of Peter Parker being a troubled uh, well a dorky kid who is bitten by a spider, gets those pow- gets his powers, learns to use his powers tries to use them uh, to make money doing um, wrestling and he joins the basketball team and then Uncle Ben is killed um, and he realises that what Uncle Ben told him about what his dad used to say about great power, great responsibility, he has to take that to heart and so decides to start being a good Spider-Man but then the Green Goblin attacks. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of the 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 main things that happen through this story, um, and a lot of it's familiar, but it comes with a slightly different twist to maybe some of the stuff that I knew of the Spider-Man origin. Um, and I, I think that was probably the idea to let's do a refresh of the Spider-Man origin. Uh, let's tell it how. Let's let's keep the core components in place, but give a few little new twists to it. So in this one, um, the spider that bites uh, Peter is from Oscorp, and in fact, before we meet Peter Parker in the comics, we meet uh, Norman Osborn uh, talking about this spider that they're developing in the lab. And basically, it's been injected with this um, with this Oz serum, uh, which when it combines with the spider's venom, gives Spider-Man these powers that, you know, the powers that we know. But it turns out that 
Norman Osborn is is kind of aware of what this spider has the potential to do, or at least I think they they originally think it's going to kill Peter, and then re- but they realise that they should be tracking him anyway after this happens. Um, and so essentially, from the very beginning, Peter knows that um, what well, Norman Osborn knows that Peter is Spider Man, and which obviously brings a different twist to that kind of tale. But a lot of the first issue, the the which is this bumper forty eight page issue, is concerned with Peter, who's a really dorky kid, kind of struggling at school. And I say dorky kid, I think he's drawn as Harry Potter here. <laughs> he's got these um, circular glasses and kind of parted brown hair um, in full on dorky mode at the start. I think he's Harry Potter. Um, he's he has a much um, closer relationship with Mary Jane. Mary Jane is maybe a bit of a cooler girl, but like she's smart, so she hangs around with Peter as well, and she's kind of like torn between being considered a bit cooler at school and hanging out with Peter. Um, and then the other characters, Harry Osborne's around and Flash Thompson's around, and there's another guy who goes to their school called Kong. Um, and uh, there, there, there's stuff that that's familiar from the um, 2000 Sam Raimi movie that we discussed last week. There's a scene in the corridor where Peter kind of like beats up, um, well, he has fights with Flash and Kong and kind of does, manages to take out both of them at various points in, in kind of ways that he, when he's flipping over them in the movie and he's slowly discovering his spidey sense um, and different powers. Um, but at the same time, there is Norman Osborn nefarious stuff going on in the background this time because he knows exactly who Peter Parker is. Um, but the first issue ends with this really kind of triumphant Peter hanging from climbing up the walls and hanging from his ceiling after finally having embraced or un- understood that he does have these newfound powers and just going, whoa, cool. And uh, yeah, it kind of, it kind of progresses in that vein that there are there's just there's so much that seems familiar in here, but it all comes with a slightly different twist, which which was great for me. I kind of felt like I was reading something that I was reading about a character that I kind of knew, and reading working my way through plot beats that I kind of knew with the uh, the Uncle Ben stuff and the wrestling and. Peter being uh, a bit of a dick teenager, but that it was it, it there, like there was a little more more meat on the bones of that story, and also there were there were components of that story that I didn't entirely recognise, um, and so I think it really you can see why Ultimate Spider-Man took off because this is a fantastic jumping on point. I re- I really enjoyed reading it and seeing this version of Spider-Man and thinking, oh yeah, I could see myself continuing reading Ultimate Spider-Man and just continuing because there is something intimidating about The Amazing Spider-Man being something that started in 1965 and kind of, you know, reached 700 issues, whereas this is a thing that is contained and yes, okay, so it eventually goes on for 15 years, but there's a definite jumping on point and a modern jumping on point. So some of some of the um, additional twists in the story. Well, I think the main one is probably the Green Goblin. So basically, Norman Osborn decides to inject himself with something similar, to, uh, as close as he can create to the conditions that gave Peter his powers. Um, except it kind of mutates him into this horrible green goblin. <laughs> um, but so it's not like in the. It's not like in the, uh, I think, the original comics and the movie in which, like, 
yes, Norman Osborn transforms and kind of gets some powers, but ultimately he's wearing a mask. This is, he is a horrible mutation. Um, and he's this big, green, horny, scaly, muscly thing um, who's kind of like throwing fireballs. Um, it seems to have gained a different set of powers and it has affected his body in a worse way than it did to Peter. Um, and he kind of can't even properly articulate what he's saying. He just kind of growls Parker at Peter when he's fighting and to kind of let him know that he knows who he is. But he's he's more monster than he is intelligent villain. He seems to be very just like... There doesn't seem to be much of the kind of like evil genius kind of side to him. He's just a big brute who is attacking Peter in these comics. And I don't know if it will develop beyond that. Um, but it was very interesting in this in this just to see to see that different take on on a villain, um, and I have to say I think while all the origin stuff is really fun, when the when Ultimate Spider Man really takes off is when Peter has become Spider Man and is fighting the Green Goblin and is throwing out his trademark quips, um, and it was really fun for me to see that that the way that character flips between being Peter Parker and Spider-Man for the first time and you re- I really did see over the course of these comics this character kind of coming out of his shell as he became Spider-Man the uh, and everything that kind of Seven James spoke about on the on the last show which was the the way that the Spider-Man origin kind of is almost everything in there is pivotal and that he doesn't really properly become Spider-Man until after Uncle Ben dies because that's when he embraces the great power, great responsibility side of Spider-Man, um, and you you absolutely see that here. I don't think I don't think I've I think I don't think I've ever seen it depicted quite as well as it is in this first volume of Ultimate Spider-Man. And that's obviously because it has a lot more time than say screen representations do, um, but it's it's really fantastically portrayed here. Um, and just just the side of like Peter being a bit of a dick, being a bit of a, a dick in the way that a teenager would be, kind of a kid who's been bullied relentlessly and now has these new powers, and it's kind of whatever happens still seems to be getting in trouble with his aunt and uncle. Um, it's just it's just a really well told story, and I could definitely see myself continuing reading Ultimate Spider-Man, especially because for someone like me, knowing that there is a start point and an end point to Ultimate Spider-Man, um, that's that's very um, attractive to me, um, and maybe maybe even just, just getting up to Miles Morales, but I quite, I quite want to get up to Miles Morales and beyond, because I've always wanted to read um, I've wanted to read about Miles Morales since I heard about him, so um yeah, this is a comic that I might I might continue reading. I'm going on holiday next week, so maybe this is I'm going to load at the Marvel Unlimited app with a lot of um, a lot of Ultimate Spider-Man and be reading that on the beach. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, so that's that's it for those two comics. Um, I think from a pure enjoyment level, I enjoyed reading Ultimate Spider-Man more than I did Amazing Spider-Man. But um, I found those four issues of the Amazing Spider-Man from Stanley and Steve Ditko absolutely fascinating um and i think from a kind of like curious point of view i'd be interested in going reading more um early amazing spider-man maybe going right back to the beginning and i think i think actually what i would like to do is read that first origin story for the 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 original spider-man origin story from i think it's amazing fantasy 15 um of the 60s spider-man and reading that origin just to compare to Ultimate Spider-Man and see how it was done differently across 
eight issues or seven seven and a bit a bumper issue than it was to like 10 15 pages and see kind of what what the comparison points there were there i think that would be really interesting so i I might do that as well but basically spider-man's great he's really fun he is there's something so inherently great about that character that just makes me want to read more (laughs) but that is it for this week um so don't forget that the next episode of cinematic universe will be covering peyton reed's ant-man and that episode will be coming out just two days from now on friday seb james and i have all seen ant-man so we'll be recording our ant-man special episode which will drop in just two days time um but until then, if you are enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. And if you've already subscribed, then please leave us a rating or review, and we'll give you a shout-out on a future show. You can find more episodes of Cinematic Universe on cinematicuniverse.libsyn.com, or as we're a Film Divider podcast, at filmdivider.com. You can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter, at podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. So we'll see you in two days' time for an Ant-Man episode and next week for a bonus Comic-Con news episode. See you then. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.